it's a little ironic. At this point in Esther, one of the things we're talking about is how much of a risk would you take? So, you know, there are people you know who feel like you've taken a risk just by coming to church uh, today. So just, you know, God's timing, if we're, we're looking at the, the book of Esther just as, you know, God being visibly invisible, here we just happen to be in this book, in this chapter, in this moment, uh, at this moment in our country's history, in the, in the world's uh, history. So we are talking, you know, those times in your life, for some of you, this time of life, when you know God is there because you know the theology, you know God is everywhere, you know God has committed you, you know God kept saying, I'll never leave you or forsake you, you just can't find him. And that can be incredibly frustrating and discouraging if you're looking, God, where are you? I just, you know, I'll do whatever you say, just tell me or show up or let me know you're there or put a stop to what's going on, those things, and he doesn't. Things continue to roll out or... Things stay the same, those times when we just wrestle with, where are you? So we've just been watching that through this book of Esther. If you're catching up with us, Esther is this teenage girl. She's a beautiful teenage girl. She's an exile living in, uh, she's Jewish, but she's living in a land that's now Iraq. Uh, her, the people of, of Israel were just taken captive there because they just kept sinning, ignoring all the prophets that told them to stop. So God took them into exile. She's probably been there, the Jews have probably been there about 80 years by now. It was a 70-year judgment. They were told they could go back to Israel. They should go back to Israel when that opportunity opened up, which it did probably about 10 years before the book of Esther. But her uncle, Mordecai, decides to stay. He's her caretaker because she's an orphan. So they're taking care of her. And so she's living in this kingdom, which in kingdoms those days, kings just did what they wanted. They had that kind of authority. They had that kind of power. And so it was about them. So she's, she's in the kingdom of, of what had been the Babylonians and now it's the Medes and the Persians. And she's just, she's just living teenage life. And uh, the king has this huge banquet that says in chapter one, last six months, at the end of the banquet, at the end of the six months, he has a special banquet. Everyone is drunk. And so he decides it's a good time to have, for his wife to come in and just show everyone how beautiful she is. And she refuses to do that, which... A woman in those days doesn't have that right. And so he gets rid of her. In chapter 2, he misses her. And so they have this really beauty and body contest of all of the young, young uh, virgin girls across the empire from India to North Africa. So they bring them all in, and Esther wins that. Uh, she wins that pageant. She wins that contest or whatever, becomes the queen. In chapter 3, where we were last week, you find out that just a couple of years later, this man named Haman gets promoted in the empire, and everyone is supposed to bow down before him. And Mordecai, Esther's uncle, this Jewish man, won't do that. Whether he does it because it's a personal thing, uh, some people felt like it, the Jews wouldn't bow to anyone, but you get it in places in Scripture where if that's for an honor, honoring someone and not I, idolizing someone, they do that. They'll show respect. What I, what I suppose last week is that there's just a, a connection there that uh, Mordecai is from the descendants of Saul who were supposed to wipe out, wipe out Haman's descendants. And so that's the underlying thing there. And so he won't bow. Haman gets t incredibly ripped about that and puts out a law that all the Jews in the kingdom are supposed to, will, be will be dead in a, in a year. On a date a year from then, every Jew can be killed in the kingdom. And if you kill one, whatever they had is yours. And that brings us to, to chapter, that brings us to chapter four, all of those things that are going on. And I know I'm looking at chapter four this way. 
When do you get involved in something when you really don't want to? You know, when do you get involved when you don't want to? Because how many of us, we've been in a situation, someone will say to us, you know, someone close or whatever, say, you should really do something about this. And you just really, you don't want to. You don't really, for a number of reasons, we kind of go through that. These times when there's an opportunity to get involved, there's something going on, you're just, you're just not sure it's you or you're hoping that it's not you. So let me read Esther chapter 4 if you want to open there in your Bible or your device. Esther chapter 4. So when Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes, which in that day, Jews and in just all the cultures of the world, that was the way you just showed that you were deeply troubled. You, someone said you tore your clothes just as a symbol of how, how much inner turmoil there was on you. And you'd put on sackcloth, uncomfortable clothing. They said usually black, because most times it was made from goat hair. And you'd sit in the ashes like Job did, or you'd put ashes on your head at times, just to, so you could let people know, I'm in deep mourning or I'm in deep distress. So he does that. And then he goes out in a public place. He went out into the midst of the city, and he crowded with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai and learn what this was and why it was. Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg, to beg his favor and to plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. And then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there's but one law, to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he might live. But as for me, I've not been called to come into the king these 30 days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you'll escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to this kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them, then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go and gather all the Jews to be found in Susa. And hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it's against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther offered him. A little bit of pressure in this chapter. And you get this sense from, from Esther that she really would rather not get involved. Some of that is 
She understands what's on the line. If I go to the king and he hasn't summoned me, I could die. She understands, you know, this is an incredibly uh, dangerous time. She understands what's happened to the queen before her who didn't do what the king wanted, who crossed lines with, with her. So there's, there's just a lot, of, a lot of things going on. But I thought this, this kind of parallels a lot of the opportunities for us when there's a, a moment going on and somebody needs to do something, you just might not want that to be you. You know, we talk a lot of times about how people are either or. You're either, you know, you're either a planner or you're spontaneous, like, like this or that. So I was thinking, in a passage like this, some of us are wired that we get involved. We just get involved. And then we think, why did I get involved? And others of us, we think, I'm not getting involved. And then eventually you realize, I, I better get involved. So... Let's just be open. We do this We do this pretty often. How many of you are, yeah, I get involved and then I wonder why? Yeah, you can be real. We're not writing names down. Yeah. How many of you are, yeah, I'd rather not get involved, but eventually I do. Okay, we're about 50-50. That's kind of good. Yeah. Those of you that get involved, raise your hands again because I want to give you jobs to do around the church, you know, around the thing. Yeah. I think our tendency, our, our first tendency a lot of times is I'm not getting involved. So I want to help you out, out of this passage, reasons that you should not, reasons you shouldn't get involved. Like, here's where we want to go, when not to get involved. When should you not get involved? Because there's times you haven't gotten involved, and then you've gone, things have played out, and you've said, see, I told you it was good for me not to get involved. There are those times, as well as the times that come, you say, all right, I should have gotten involved. You're right. All, all those things can go. It's really hard to tell sometimes. That's why... Whatever your personality, you really need to step back and just clarify that you're hearing from the Lord on that. Hey, as a person that loves to get involved, loves to help, I, boy, I've learned that. I'm getting so much better at that of, God, here's a burden. You want it to be my burden, but is it, you want it to be my action? Or am I, do you want me to pray from afar? Do you want me to approach someone? What do you want me to do? It's just huge. It's huge. But when not to get involved out of, out of this passage... Well, a place, you know, a reason not to get involved in this is uh, that, okay, I missed one. I think I'm up here. Yep. All right, I didn't realize I had to click these things. Yep. When you're not, when you're not aware of things, when you're out of the loop, you're not going to get involved. Esther, Esther at the beginning, the whole city, is, is it, it said at the end of chapter 3 that the whole city was thrown into confusion. And now it seems like enough time has gone after this between chapter 3 and chapter 4 that word has gotten out to the provinces because it tells us that all the Jews are in sackcloth and ashes. So some time has gone by and outside of that palace, people are stirred up and they're wondering. But inside the palace, Esther's living an insulated life. She has no clue. Like when it tells you that Mordecai was in the middle of the city and then he went to the king's gate, but he couldn't go through the king's gate. That's because you couldn't go on the other side. You couldn't go into the king's area sad. He didn't want that. He wanted to know everybody was happy in his kingdom. Remember in the book of Nehemiah? Nehemiah hears how bad Jerusalem, what, how bad uh, the walls are in Jerusalem, what sad shape the city is in, and so he's incredibly sad. And he's serving the king, and the king asks him why he's sad, and Nehemiah says, and so I became very afraid. Because it was dangerous to be sad in the presence of the king. That might reflect on the fact he might not be a good king. And so she's insulated. Everything's happy inside the palace as far as she knows. 
Sometimes you don't get involved because you're just out of the loop. So later on you say to someone, oh, I wish I would have known. I didn't know that was going on. So you, you don't get involved like she does because you're out of that loop. And uh, as I was writing that down, I thought, boy, if you've, if, you've got, if you've got younger children or even aging children, that's a huge balance for you to know as a parent. How much do you tell your children about what's going on and, and how much do you just protect them from? You know, you do, your children are wired different ways. Some of your children are warriors. Some of your children just have a confidence to them. Just as a word, as a word, I'd really, that's important for you to know. Because I've heard some parents that just tell their children everything. And I think, man, sometimes we're telling them things they can't bear, really, at their ages or, or the way God has wired them. And other times, we want to so protect our children that there's just this huge gap for them when they go out on their own. So, so, just if you can receive that. We didn't do that perfectly. No parent is, but you're just trying to, again, you're just trying to lean on God. God, for this child, in this moment, what do you share? Especially, you do not want to create children who are petrified to go outdoors in this moment. You want children who are smart, who aren't, you know, as someone in the body says, who aren't going around licking the, the handrail at Holyoke Mall. <laughs> but you, but you, don't, you don't want them paranoid either. So, yeah, so you don't, you're not aware. You're just out of the loop. You find out after. That might be a reason that you don't get involved. Another reason that you don't get involved, it's not your issue. Mordecai, if you think about it, in Daniel, there were all kinds of Jews who were promoted and got in the leadership of the government. You know, Daniel had his three friends, but they were all out of a group of Jewish young men who had been brought to Babylon for training. And Daniel, Daniel had this amazing political career there were other Jews, I'm sure, who were around Mordecai who bowed to Haman. It just seems like whatever Mordecai did in that issue. So it's easy to not get involved because saying, man, this is your issue. You know, I didn't have a problem with this. I didn't, this wasn't my issue. This wasn't something that was so, so big to me. You've been in those situations where someone, they go and they have a complaint, maybe at work, they go to the foreman, they go to a supervisor, they go to the teacher, and you just happen to be there, and they go up and they, they say, hey, we just feel that this is wrong. And you're standing there, you're thinking, we? <laughs> Why are you saying we? This is not my issue. This is your issue. I'm not getting involved because it's not my issue. It's not my struggle, or however we would go with that. Here's, an, here's another reason that we would wrestle with. It doesn't affect you. It doesn't affect you. Hey, I appreciate this is what's happening to you, but it really doesn't affect you. Think about that. They're saying in the, in the kingdom at that time, probably 15 million Jews, but not her because she's in the palace, you know, and, and she's insulated in, in every way. Man, thank you so much, Uncle Mordecai, for telling me not to tell anybody I was Jewish because now this isn't going to affect me. And a lot of times, when we're trying to convince ourselves it's not going to affect us, it's because we know it is. And that's, that's what Mordecai is going to circle back around to that. Another, another, reason that, uh, another reason that we might not get involved is it's going to trash your comfort zone. Esther's living this queen's life. She's living a privileged life. She's living a safe life. It's going to trash her comfort zone to go to that king who hasn't been interested in seeing her for a month, who has protocol, it's, your comfort zone is what you perceive to be safe for you and predictable 
That's because we want to live in lives that are fairly predictable. Even those of you that love to take chances, in your mind, you've kind of regulated how big a chance you're willing to take. So, so your comfort zone, that's about things that are safe and predictable, things that are easy for you, things that you feel familiar with and good about. And your comfort zone, at the end of the day, it's about you, really. This is what I'm comfortable doing. This is what works for me. If you get involved, a lot of time, it just trashes your comfort zone. So it's better, it's, so it's, it's better not to get involved. Now, the reason you see out of the passage is sometimes we, it's better not to get involved because there's a high risk factor here. That's one of the things Esther's trying to point out to Mordecai is that this thing has a high risk factor. She says to him, look at how she puts it even in, in verse 11, the second half of verse 11, when they're going back and forth. And it says, uh, he says, everyone knows, or at the beginning of, of that, I mean, all the king's servants and all the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes into the king inside the inner court without being called, there's one law to be put to death. There's this high risk factor. There were only seven nobles that the king could appoint who had the right to go to him anytime they wanted. Anyone else in the kingdom had to be invited in. Some of that was to protect them from being assassinated. Some of that was just to allow the, the king to control his life and to control his schedule. And so there's a high risk factor for her to get involved. And she recognizes that and she talks to, she talks to Mordecai about that. There's a family history behind her husband, behind King Ahasuerus. His brother, I think we mentioned this along the way, his older brother was actually supposed to be the king, but he married a commoner. And so they pushed him out and they made Ahasuerus the king. Now, Ahasuerus has married a Jewish girl and we're not told anything about her title. So he himself has married a commoner who's also Jewish. So there's, there's some huge risk elements to her. Then you throw in her situation that they've been married about five years at this point and it's been a month since he's wanted to see her. So the risk factor just goes up. I mean, when you don't want to get involved in something, that's what you do. You calculate, what's the cost of this? How uncomfortable am I going to be? What might it cost me? All of those things, you're just factoring out. So should I get involved or, or should I not get involved? And for her, this just leads her to, hey, just stay put. This is what's going on. And so this is the word she sends back to him. Listen, I feel very bad. I'm so sorry for you. I'll be praying for you but I'm staying put. I'm staying put. And so Mordecai just circles back around and, and just says to her, hey, here are these reasons that you should get involved. You know, here, here are the reasons and here's times that God would call you to get involved. We need to hear that because as followers of Jesus, we've been called to get involved. You know, when he says, hey, I've been given all authority, now you go. That means move outside your comfort zone and you make disciples. And you can't get, make disciples without helping people come to faith in Jesus. And you can't really do that without getting involved in people's lives. Because people tend to, tend to come to Jesus in relationship. You, you might have a Franklin Graham or a Louise Plough come into town and share the gospel and people get saved. But so many times, even those people are people that have been nurtured by a believer you know, that's spoken into their life, that's told them the gospel, that's shared some of Jesus. We're just called to get involved. And then people come to, 
to faith in Jesus and we're called to stay involved in their life and help them grow. So that's one of the things we got to be processing out of this chapter is, God, am I involved? You know, I hear those points, you know, why not to be involved? And I know they're all, they're all hollow. But I got to step back and ask, look at my life and say, but am I involved? Am I involved in reaching lost people? Am I involved in helping people grow in a consistent, meaningful way? Because otherwise, boy, somehow I've, I've settled down in that. I've settled down in the first part of this chapter with Esther. So, so let's, let's see where he goes on, on why, why it is we have to get involved or, or when to get involved. You have to get involved. Uh, let me see if I just clicked on the right thing. Not to, not to, not to. Here we go. Yep. So you should get involved when you find out something. So she has no clue. Why don't you see how thoroughly Mordecai makes sure she knows what's going on. So she sends Hathak. You know, Hathak, have you ever been that person that, you know, hey, go find out what's going on. So you find out what's going on, and they come back. This is what's going on. Well, now you go and find out this. Have you ever you've been that person? That gets old when you think, well, why, why don't you people just talk? Why, why don't you? But it gives you a sense of just how insulated Esther is. She can't go out to the gate. She can't go out to, to talk to him and where that is. And so he goes, you know, when he gets this opportunity and he says to him, what's going on? Someone says, Esther, and I think this makes the most sense. Esther sent clothes to, to Mordecai because typically you might have sackcloth and ashes if something really went bad in your life. You lost a lot of money, you know, a friend died, someone in your family died, something like that. You'd have sackcloth and ashes. So it says, that's what she thinks is going on. So she sends him clothes so he can change and come in and tell her what's going on. But he's, he's making a huge statement by saying, no, I'm going to stay. I'm stay just as I am because this isn't something that, okay, I'll change and we'll talk. This is something bigger than that. And so it says he goes out to Mordecai in verse 6. Mordecai told him all that had happened to him. So he gives him background on what's going on with he and Haman. He told him the exact sum of money that Haman promised to pay into the king's treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Remember we said it was somewhere around $250 million. In verse 8, Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction so that he could show it to Esther, explain it to her, and command her to go to the king. So he has done his homework. He has found out what is going on. And now he's making sure she knows the whole story. You, you get involved when you find out what's going on, which is why it's important to, to find out what's going on. You know, some of you, your stories, and we were talking yesterday, actually a couple of us, so many of our church family have come in from painful church experiences. You know, in church experiences, they're going to be painful if, you, if you're in church long enough. You know, the problem is we keep getting sinful people joining our church that's led by sinful people. So we're obviously going to hurt each other, get confused, get offended, and then not handle that right, and, and there are going to be issues. And so we come in, and so sometimes we'll hear people say, hey, I'm just coming and going. I don't even want to know what's going on. You can appreciate that for a little while. But then there comes a time where you find out what's going on. You find out what people are dealing with. You find out what's happening and, and what's going on. You find out. You hear that. It's closely related to, to what comes next, this next part. When 
it's not your stand, but it's your issue. It's someone else has taken the stand, but the issue goes wider than that. And it's an issue that you care about, or it's an issue that, that kind of uh, resonates on you. We can get, and I've been wrestling with what to call it, we can get like awareness fatigue, can't you? I mean, do you support Compassion International and these children around the world that need, they need food and education? Or do you, do you get involved? Do you find out about women and children that are being trafficked around the world? There's something I saw on Facebook last night, so I shared. And if you saw this, this little girl, she's 14 or 15 years old, that was kidnapped and married to a Muslim man, and her family is just trying to get her back because she's too young. So I think it's in Pakistan. She's too young to be legally married, but they won't bring her to court. So you find out about women and, and girls that are being trafficked. In Egypt, it's very common for teenage Christian girls to be kidnapped and married off to Muslims. They're just, you know, the, the uh, radical Muslims are using that as a strategy of putting an end to Christianity in Egypt. So that's overwhelming. You find out about women who, and children who are in abusive homes, and, and what do you do for that? And then you find out about the persecuted church that we're always talking about, and then you find out that women are being, women are being trafficked right here in Springfield in Massachusetts, and so this is what Route 1 is doing there. And then you find out that there were homeless women and homeless uh, women and families in in Massachusetts, and that was the burden that Linda Mumlow happened to hear one day, that burdened her. You can get, you can get need fatigue. It'd be, just be overwhelmed by all of these things, you know, where, hey, these are not my stands. Hey, it's great Linda Mumlow felt this, but it is our issue to bring the compassion of Jesus to all of these things. So once you know, it's not just Mordecai, here's where you are. It's, it's really interesting all the way through Esther, it's her people, her people, her people. It's not until chapter 7, she finally says, my people. You know, those people, those people, those poor persecuted people, you know, move some point to my brothers and sisters. I mean, the, I think my biggest connection to the persecuted church is my colleagues, my fellow pastors, and what that's got to be like. You know, Pastor Ted and I talked the other day, do we have service? Do we postpone service? Multiply that by about a thousand and be a pastor in Colombia in, in the FARC controlled area with do we meet publicly or do, is it better for us just to go to the house to house and meet with people? Because we meet publicly, they may show up and they may steal our teenage boys to become soldiers. Think of that, that pressure. It's not, not their stand, not my stand, but it's my issue. It's my issue because there's that, there's that connection for her. No, Esther, it's not your stand, but it's your issue. Now, all of that said, that's why you just need to be praying and staying in tune with the Lord, because you'll hear a need, and something will resonate with you that, hey, I think this is the one I should be involved in. You know, that's how Lori ended up in, in Route 1. That's how some of you end up teaching in kids' church. That's how... You know, Max and Sophie, that's how they end up in, in teen ministry. That's how Linda ended up starting Christina's house. You just heard a need. It might not have been your stand, but God says, this is your issue. And then those, those of you that are wired that, man, every issue, you're just so burdened about, you want to do something about, you need to really step back because you'll be, you will be overwhelmed. You'll be overwhelmed. You've got to get involved. You just want to get involved in, in the right place and in, in the right way. Another reason to get involved is, is, similar to what we saw before, 
it affects you more than you realize. Esther has this element of, hey, everybody knows that if you go to the king, you're going to die. So Mordecai comes around and says, listen, if you don't go to the king, you're going to die. You know, when he says to her, and that's, that's some pretty strong, strong words. He says, well, in verse 13, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace, you'll escape any more than all the other Jews. I mean, at some point, we were talking about that last week, she, it's got to come out that she's Jewish. I mean, she asks for fasting and prayer at, toward the end of the chapter, and she says, all of my young women, all my attendants, we're also going to fast. Well, they're going to know, they're going to know right away she's Jewish if, if that hasn't been found out yet. So sometimes we just think it really doesn't affect me, but sometimes it affects us way more than we realize. Don't think to yourself that you'll be safe. You think through something when the Spirit is telling you to get involved or someone that you trust that knows you, that knows what you bring, when they tell you to get involved, allow yourself to realize that it probably affects you more than, more than you realize that it does. This is what we've seen all the way through Esther, isn't it? That every story is part of God's story. Your story isn't just being lived, just you and Jesus. He's trying to connect your story to, the, to what he's trying to do on a, on a world level. He's trying to connect you to what he's doing in Springfield. He's trying to connect you to what he's doing, you know, with a certain struggle. Like he's, he's connecting Dave and Jess's story to what he's trying to do in the lives of people trying to get clean and sober to find out, hey, there's that life, but that life is so much better if you follow it with Jesus. Every story is part of God's story. So you're affected in, in every way if it's a place that God wants you to, if it's a place where God wants you to be involved it does affect us more than we realize. You, you keep going on. We, we talked about this a second. When to get involved, it's going to trash your comfort zone because that's what's supposed to happen to comfort zones. They're supposed to be trashed. You think of all the way through, if, if we have a comfort zone because we, we think life is supposed to be easy and predictable and safe and about us and, and what we want to do, none of that lines up with God's agenda. Just re- all you got to do is read Paul's story and you find out it wasn't predictable, it wasn't safe, it wasn't about him, it wasn't easy. But he keeps saying how worthwhile it was. And so you think through comfort zone people. Joseph, I don't think, I'm not sure Joseph ever found the comfort zone. You know, as a Jewish person, was he ever comfortably being second in command over Egypt? You know, or David, was that a comfort zone moment when he goes out for Goliath? You know, or Moses, was that a comfort zone moment when God went to him and said, I need you to go back to Egypt, the place where they were trying to kill you when you last left there? Or it wasn't a comfort zone moment for Abigail when she had to decide, how do I protect my whole house because my husband has ticked off David and now they're going to come and kill all the men in our home. That's not a comfort zone moment when she takes, when she takes that risk and goes out to there. It's not a comfort zone moment for Deborah when she's a prophetess in the land of Israel and now she has to step up and kind of be a military leader because the man on the scene won't be. You know, it's not a comfort zone moment for, uh, for Ruth when she decides to go back with her mother-in-law to a land, you know, leave everything she's known to go somewhere she doesn't know a thing. It's not a comfort zone moment for her. It's not a comfort zone moment for Mary when God comes to her and says, you're going to be the mother of Messiah, what a huge blessing, but nowhere near her comfort zone. You know, those, the 12 disciples, they didn't know what the comfort zone was once they met Jesus. 
You know, now we're going into the Samaritan land. Whoa, we're not comfortable in Samaritan, in Samaritan land. Now we're going to take you fishermen. We're going to put you in a storm that's going to, going to scare you to death. And I'm going to show you how I can still a storm. Now I'm going to tell you how we can pay our taxes by going fishing. I'm going to, all these things, now we're going to, all these things that, that we're going to do just to keep you out of your comfort zone. Because that's what's supposed to happen in the comfort zones. And then you have Paul, who had this really comfortable life as a Pharisee that he just gave up, that he just gave up. But all of those lives, look what God did through them because they're willing to move past their comfort zones. I'm not comfortable doing this and this doesn't come easy to me. All these things that we say, it's not who I am, but yet God is calling you into it. He's calling you to become involved. Or people that know you are saying, I really think you'd be good at this. I know it's a stretch, but I think you'd be good at this. You know, those moments you have, you think, I am over my head. I really think those are God moments, just making sure you know it's Him. And I've told you, I told you the two churches that, that Cindy and I have been called to, I had the exact same, uh, exact same experience going into both of them, where 1985, I think it was April of 1985, actually, be, what, 35 years. Next month, I'm driving little U-Haul into North Berwick, Maine, a town of 4,000 people, and it hits me. I am going to be these people's pastor. What the heck am I thinking? You know, really, I mean, it just had that moment. What have I gotten myself into? Really, that, I felt that super deeply. When I got off exit six on the Mass Turnpike, I always love to say I had one stoplight between our house and exit six. Uh, and then between exit six and State Street, I think at about seven stoplights. So we knew we were in a different world already. But getting off X66 and on 291, just having that same feeling of, what have you done? What have you done? You don't, you've been in a town of 4,000. What makes you think you can handle this? And both times, I think it was God just making sure, you know, oh my God, I really, really need you. Okay, good, we can keep going now. <laughs> but what did you do? He just, you know, I was outside my comfort zone and then he just decided to step on it just to make sure... I want you to make sure you've left your comfort zone and you know you need me. That's, what, that's why you have to get involved. You have to be willing to trash your comfort zone because that's where growth happens. That's where growth happens and that's where God shows up. We'll talk, I'm going to talk about that in, in, in a second. Here's another reason to get involved because it does have a high risk factor. It does have a high risk factor for Esther and there's a lot on the line and there's a, a lot on the line for our brothers and sisters who are sharing Jesus in Iran. And the, the church in Iran is growing like mad. I mentioned a few months ago, the government has taken note of it. They had a, they had a seminar or a conference for high Muslim clerics, and the, the topic of the conference was, how do we stop Christianity in Iran? So it's caught the, that much attention. So you have this, our sister, who's going by the name Mary in Iran, who's just been very, very public about, uh, about the government and about its repression of Christianity, about her own faith, that was arrested and spent some time in jail. And then because of the coronavirus, Iran released a lot of Christians out of the jails, just to get them out of jail. I mean, so while we're praying God stop this thing, we should also be praying, hey, keep using this thing. You know, because there's a lot of people thanking God for a virus. But outside of, I mean, having a high risk factor for them. But it's just worth it. I mean, that's what, isn't that what Mordecai is telling Esther? Yeah, it has a high risk factor. 
Everyone knows, and as reading one of the commentaries says, there's an element of sarcasm to Esther when she says, you know, all the people know this is the law. What are you telling me to do this for? Everybody, you should know better than this. Have you ever said that to someone that wants you to get involved? You should know better than this. You should know me better than this. You know better than this. Anybody that goes in without being invited is dead. And I haven't been invited in a month, and I'm his wife. So there is a high risk factor. But there's still something to be, that's worth being involved with. I might lose this friendship. I might alienate this person. That's a high risk factor, but sometimes it's worth being involved in. You've got to confront someone about something you want to do that well. And Scripture says we speak the truth in love, we season it with grace, but you still may lose that friendship. I mean, most of us that have been involved with people have. Maybe most times just for a short period of time and then the per- you may get a call or text and the person says, yeah, I'm sorry, I overreacted like that. But sometimes you do, you just lose that relationship or you lose that opportunity or you lose what it is. It has high risk factor, but the risk is worth it. See, am I going to risk that I might die or if I don't, I might die? That's what, that's what Mordecai is saying. Don't think, don't give yourself a false sense of safety there that there's a high risk, whatever you do. It's just that one gives you a huge opportunity for good. And, and that's, what, that's what we're called to. That's what we're called to. So those, those high risk factor things that we do. I love this verse in John 11. Lazarus is sick, and so they're deciding to go there. In, in the one earlier part of John 11, Jesus says to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. And his disciples said to him, uh, Rabbi, the Jews are just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? You know, just in case you've forgotten. And then a few verses later, Jesus says, let's go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, well, let's go so we can die with him. <laughs> I love that. You get, a, you get this glimpse into the disciples that, well, we're going to die. We can't talk him out of it, but we, want, we, we, we don't want to leave him, you know? We're going, we're, we're going with him, even if we're going with him to the death. There's just something beautiful about that line. Let's go, we're all going to die. I love, you know, one of the things when it says, um, there's, there's a place in here, uh, I didn't write down where it says, who knows? So I, I, Googled, I searched that in my Bible program, in the Bible, places where it says, who knows, or what if. There's some pretty, there's some pretty interesting places those of you who have been around for a long time, remember that Erwin McManus? Uh, that's a tough one for me to say, Erwin McManus video that we played. And he's, he's preached on a moment in Jonathan's life, Jonathan, the son of King Saul, where they're waiting and they're waiting and waiting to go to war and nobody will start it. And so Jonathan decides to raid a Philistine garrison. And he says to his armor bearer, let's go. Maybe the Lord will look at us and give us victory. You know, let's go, Maybe. Maybe this will happen. Let's just, let's just try it. Let's just go. This whole thing that you, take, you get involved because there is a high risk and you realize there's a high risk. But what you're doing it for is so worth it. And so, you know, if we have another parenting thing, so God stirs our children to possibly leave life here and, and to go overseas to serve him. As a parent, you want to start thinking of all the risk factors to that. But we also need to be speaking to the huge gain side of that. 
that if that is what Jesus is calling you to do, then that is the best life for you. And, and I don't want to be the one to keep you here in the United States. I remember when Joy was in college, she was wrestling with, she did not want a, uh, I forget how she put it, a white picket fence boyfriend. She did not want, she did not want a boyfriend whose vision of life was living in America in a nice house with a white picket fence. She wanted to be open to somebody that was open to wherever God was taking that. Wow, that was, that was nurturing as a parent to hear. High risk, maybe. Maybe we don't get to see you like we'd like to see you, and maybe you're not living in a situation that we feel like is the safest situation. But high risk, huge reward if you're thinking kingdom if you're thinking involved for, for the commission, if you're thinking in that ways, So I was thinking, what well, makes a risk worth taking? Because you weigh that out. You, some of you have businesses. You weigh out what's, what's a risk worth taking for my business. In relationships, what's a risk worth taking? Sharing Jesus, what's a risk worth taking? So just watching through this chapter, it depends, you know, what your risk is for. What's the risk for? In Esther, the risk is for saving her people, saving those millions of people who are going to die in, down the road in several months. What's, what's the purpose? Why am I taking this risk? Is it worth is it? Worth it? Is, is God would see it worth it? Is it worth for these people? It, we're always taking risk. A risk for people always has to have a way to it. You know, the Good Samaritan, comes alongside a person who's been beaten up and left and takes a risk on helping the person. It costs him financially. It costs him, you know, because here he is a Samaritan. He's going to hear things from Jews, taking care of a Jew and touching a Jew, which makes him instantly unclean. He's going to hear all those things, but it's worth it to him. It's worth it to him because we're called to love our neighbor as ourself. So is who you're taking the risk for? Who's challenging you to take this risk? You know, somebody comes up to you and says, oh, yeah, you ought to definitely do that. You need to step back and think, who is that person? You know, if Cindy says to me, you definitely need to get involved here. And I say, I don't know, look at the risk. She says, no, no, you need to get involved. I think, okay, she knows me. You know, she knows how I'm wired. She knows the situation. So if Cindy tells me, you know, even though I feel like yeah, this is pretty risky, that's going to weigh on me. If Pastor Ted tells me, yeah, and this is one I think you need to get involved in. That's going to that's gonna weigh pretty heavily. Who is the one that's challenging you to take the risk? This is her uncle Mordecai, who's invested his whole life in her, who's been, who's been gifted enough or wise enough that he's been promoted pretty high in, in a pagan empire, in a, in a lost empire, in the empire of the, Medo -Per of the Medo Medes and Persians, who's lasted through their takeover of the Babylonian empire. This is his voice telling her, listen, you need to take this chance. He's obviously tied to her. He's taken her in and he's raised her as his own. It said to us early in Esther. So it's not like he's just telling her, listen, you might die, but do it anyway. That matters to him. That matters to him. But he's still the voice telling her, you have to take this risk. So you do want to weigh out. Who, who is it that's telling you? Do they know the situation and do they know, do they know you? you? You need to, another reason that... Um, it might be a risk worth taking is that it does affect you, that you look at it and you say, yeah, if I don't do this, it's going to come back. It will come back and somehow affect me. Does this affect me? He says, you're not going to hide. 
you know, you're not going to hide it, which is kind of the other, part of the other part of that. It will affect you. If you are outed in some way, you know, they out you, they find out, wait, wait a minute, you're, you're a Christian? Wait a minute, you do this? Wait a minute, you can, you can speak to this? Do you have experience with this? When you're outed like that, like she's outed as a, Jew, as a Jewess, then it's time to get involved. Or it's, it's time, yeah, time to get involved, take that risk. You know, when you weigh out what's on the line, what's on the line will determine whether or not you should take a risk. What's on the line are those millions of lives, and they make the risk worthwhile. And, and then one last thing that might make a, a risk worthwhile, a high risk worthwhile, is when you have to hide to avoid it. Because Esther's only chance of surviving is to hide out in the palace and not let anyone know she's Jewish. When you have to hide so that it doesn't affect you, then you really need to weigh out whether you're just avoiding something God wants you involved in. Her high risk, it does have a high risk, but the only way to avoid it is to hide. That itself tells you things. And, and we know when we're hiding, when we say, it doesn't really affect me, it's not really, I'm not really sure I heard the whole story, those things that we kind of tell ourselves to kind of worm ourselves to the background instead of being in, being in the front where, where God wants us to be and what he wants us to do. So, yeah, we get involved sometimes, even when there is a high risk factor. Uh, we get involved because we realize that God has placed you right there, right then. I mean, that's what Esther, uh, that's what Mordecai says to Esther, probably the most famous line in, in the whole book. He, when he says to, um, at the end of verse 14, and, and who knows whether you have not come to this kingdom, to the kingdom, for such a time as this. You know, Esther, do you see this? Here's this moment when the Jews in this whole empire are in danger. And you, a Jew, are the queen at this moment. Do you see that? I mean, we've all been in discussions where we say, oh my goodness, yeah, I never noticed that before. We've also all been in situations, somebody's trying to tell us that, no, I don't see that. I don't think that's really God's timing. And we try to weasel our way out of that. But you get involved when you realize, no, you're the person. I remember we interviewed with, uh, with the church, with this church back in 96. We interviewed and, and the church was very open. It had, been, it had gone through a, a very tough season. And so uh, I remember we're driving back to Maine and I, and I called my mentor, Pastor. And he said, well, how did it go? I said, it went really well. The people were super, super great. I loved the worship. Uh, met a lot of great people. They were super open with us. All I see is red flags <laughs> after interviewing here, which is probably what the search committee also felt having talked to me. I said, all I see is red flags. And he says to me, good, as long as you see them. And then, and then I just said, you know, but Cindy, I got this sense that if it's not me, I feel like it's somebody with my, my nature and my gifting. Because I really got a sense from God. That's what this, that's what's needed it what was glorious gospel at this moment. That was a pretty heavy weight. If it's not me, I think I said to him, it's not me, it's like my clone. It's like God saying, it's you. You are here at this right time and this right place. You've got you to be willing to hear that from the Lord. I've grown you to this point. I've put you in this position, this place. Now you hear this news. Now you know the situation. 
and I've got you right where I need you. Don't step away from that. You know, it doesn't say that in Hebrews. You know, let's not be among those who step back. You know, let's be among those who keep moving forward and realize God's put me here. He's put me next to this person so that I can talk to them. He's put me next to the person so I can walk with them through a hard season, whatever that is. You get involved when you realize, wow, God, you've put me right here for this. I don't think I'm ready for it, but evidently you do. So those things go. It's a risk. What do, you, what do you do? You're in the right time, right place. Yeah, but you don't understand this king. This king is pretty volatile, which is where you love this verse out of the Proverbs, don't you? The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. It, the king, he just has, he is, he, he is the heart, and he's going to direct that thing where he needs it to go to get it where he needs to go. Hey, that's our confidence about President Trump or Governor Baker or, you know, if you're living in Iran about the Ayatollah that rules the country, that his heart is in the king's hand and it's never going to get out of control. might be hard to understand, but it's never going to get out of control. So Esther, you go in to see him and, and it's going to be okay. It's okay to get involved. It's okay to get involved because God has you right in that right place and in, in the right time. You got to get involved because you want a God moment. Everybody wants God moments. Everybody gets jealous when we hear testimonies and somebody says, so I was here in this situation and this person came up to me and this is what I said to them and this is what happened. We all think, oh man, God, I'd love to have that happen to me. We want God moments. We just don't want to have to take them. Here's your God moment, Esther. God is going to show up. You go into that king and you see what happens. It will be a God moment. You know, we get involved in people's lives. We get involved in ways that stretch us because we want God to show up. You know, I think that's what happened to me when I went into North Berwick, Maine, and when I drove into Springfield, Mass. God made sure, he put me in a place so I know this is going to be a God thing. Not going to be a Jeff Chandler thing. It's going to be a God thing. So here's this moment, and here's how it's playing out. It's a God thing. We want him. We're just not always willing to step into him. But David was... Paul was, the disciples were, Mary was. They all stepped in to these things and they had these amazing God moments because that's where God moments happen, when we're beyond ourselves and, and we get involved in what God's doing. Another reason to get involved out of, out of this is because you want God's movement to move on. You make disciples of all nations. And so that's what God is, that's what God's doing around the world. He's seeing people come to faith and discipling them and moving that on. So Mordecai comes to, he comes to Esther, and we've talked about that, that Esther doesn't mention the name of God anywhere through the book. This is the closest you get to prayer is that she wants fasting. But he says, you know, when he says, you know, don't think you'll be safe, in verse 14 he says, if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. He understands that God has a commitment to the Jews that's greater than this edict. That Esther, if, if you don't step up to this, then God is going to deliver his people. And he has that confidence because God made a covenant with Abraham, an everlasting covenant. It's, it's repeatedly called, it's an everlasting covenant. You can't have an everlasting covenant when there's no people. And so he knows God is going to protect, he's going to preserve his people. And so he's confident of that. He's passing that on. He doesn't understand 
will they kill all the people in Susa? Will some of the Jews be killed before God steps in? He doesn't know that part. For those of you that really wrestle with it, you have to know everything before you move forward. He doesn't know that. He just knows God is going to deliver the Jews. I just don't know when or how or how many of us might die in the meantime, but he's going to deliver us. And so Esther, you be involved in, in this movement, just moving forward and keep moving on. Let me, I have just a couple more. She gets the point where she says, okay, well, you just fast for three days for me. You get involved when you pray and God doesn't say no. That's a safer way to pray. I feel like sometimes I think, God, are you saying yes? Because it's easy for, yeah, I'm not hearing anything. It's when you're praying, God, I feel like this is you. Stop me if it's not. That's a, that's a lot easier. The guy that I went to India with, that was his prayer when he was at Moody Bible Institute. God, I'm going to the mission field unless you stop me. This is where I feel like you want me, so I'm going to keep going unless you step in the way of it. So you pray about something and God doesn't say no, then just step into it and get involved. You, you fast and pray for three days. You fast to show this is really serious. It really, I'm really, uh, I feel deeply about this. I'm willing to deny myself about it for three days. Typically, Jews would fast for one day, three days, just to kind of accent, accent just how, how strong that is to her. So you pray, God, is this a situation? I feel like you're drawing me into it. He doesn't say no, then step into it. And then lastly, this is maybe especially hard for us in America, get involved because staying alive isn't the most important thing. Staying safe and staying alive isn't the most important thing. When we were at Moody and, and the theme of the conference was, you know, for such a time as this, Francis Chan spoke, I think I mentioned that. He's, I think he's now in Hong Kong. He's relocated his family in Hong Kong. This was the verse uh, that he spoke out of. This is Paul with the Ephesians, the elders. He's, he's told them he's not going to see them again. This will be the last time. He says, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I don't count my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I, I don't call count my life of value except to use it for Jesus. A couple chapters later, he's on the way to Jerusalem and there's a prophetic word that, that he's going to be arrested and everyone starts begging him not to go to Jerusalem. He says, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Because he understands that staying alive is not the most important thing. The Philippians we were looking at this Wednesday night to the Philippians. Paul's in jail. He thinks he's going to get out, but he says, my eager expectation and hope is that I will in no way be ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. You know, God isn't looking for us to be foolish with our bodies or with about death, but he's not looking for us to make sure we hang on to life with everything. Peter is, is going to die soon, and, and uh, Second Peter says, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth you have. I think it's right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by, by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Hey, I'm just getting you ready because I'm about to go. It's not, help me find a way out of this. 
it's no, Jesus has made clear that I'm going to be martyred and that's coming. And so I'm going to make sure. That's, that's why we have Second Peter because he's making sure we knew, we knew these things. See, we get involved because, you know, staying alive isn't the most important thing. Now, probably all of us will stay alive, but you're going to just see a difference if that's not the most important thing to you. If it's, hey, God, here's your life. You use it the way you want. My friend Gary Dean, the missionary I went to India with, sent me an article uh, this week about Charles Spurgeon because when Spurgeon was pastoring in London, there was a cholera outbreak in London. And just showed how he just kept going through doors that God opened to minister to people, to minister to the dying, to do funerals in those places. And their church wasn't in the quarantine section. They continued to have services, but he just went through doors that God opened because staying alive wasn't the most important thing to him. God kept him alive, but the pressure's off if, if this life is Jesus's and you're not driven to make sure you're safe, you're healthy, you're whatever. You're not foolish, but you're not clinging either. So, so here's this passage. Every, there's an element of following Jesus that has a sense of, well, here goes. And if, if you bring that to your relationship with Jesus, well, here goes. Where are we going? What do you want me to do? It's going to open up so much more for you than if it's a God, you know, please keep me in what I feel comfortable with, keep me in what I'm used to, those, those things, keep me in all those things that's safe. You know, we'll find out, we'll find out in a couple weeks how did that story play out, what happened. What I can tell you is that the book is called Esther, not something else, because she just stepped into her moment. She got involved. So let me pray. Why don't we stand together and I'll pray. So, so Father, you alone know how you've orchestrated this whole thing. You know who in this church family needs to get involved in whose life right now. Somebody that needs to grow in their next, their next part of their relationship with Jesus. Someone that's, someone that's in danger and they're teetering. God, maybe there's a sin that they're hanging on to. Maybe there's something from their past that's haunting them or whatever that is, you know all those things and you coordinate those so well. We've watched you orchestrate things through this book. So we just want to worship you by being available to you, whatever that is. Show us where to get involved and how to get involved and how deeply to be involved. We pray as friends, I pray for Pastor Ted and myself as leaders, that you give us discernment and, and a word from you when we're speaking to people about that. But we know the end of that is people coming to Jesus and people taking steps and seeing, seeing things happen because they take steps in Jesus. We want, those, we want those moments with you, Lord. We want those moments where we're out there and you show up. And we, we want to see this movement of making disciples. We want to see it go forward. And so you give us clarity in that. And, and then, Holy Spirit, just help us to bring you availability and willingness. Pray that to the glory of God. And in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.